0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Weapons of mass destruction
2: were
1: found. Are you kidding
3: me? Do you buy that? There Do- were, there were, there were. Nye
4: nye, 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 I was five and he was six. We rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore white. Come on, let's shoot. Claire. Whack.
2: Hey, uh, I need to get the rats, the brass to drop rats. I got a wounded girl. We didn't take the rough of my Oh, it's their fault for bringing their kids to a battle. That's right. The main reason we went into Iraq at the time was we thought he had weapons of mass destruction. It turns out he didn't, but he had the capacity to make weapons of mass destruction. But
5: I also talked about the human suffering in Iraq. Hello, boys and girls. I have a special message for you from the President of the United States. I salute the boys and girls who are buying United States savings, stamps, and bonds, and they're giving important support to the cause of freedom and the men who fight for us in Vietnam.
2: Congress gave us this authority in August 1964 to do whatever may be necessary. That's pretty far-reaching. That's the sky's the limit.
4: As an American citizen, you have
1: to respect our president, whether I like it or not. It's really my, not my decision, but I do respect my president, and I will support whatever decision he makes. Music on side. just for me,
5: the church bells rang. It is a hard fact that U.S. strikes have resulted in civilian casualties.
4: don't know why until this day sometimes i cry he didn't even say goodbye he didn't take the
5: not my country my country is me and my family Your country's also where to the governor the landlords gone throughs and his locusts this little revolution we're having here
1: a revolution
2: revolution please don't try to tell me about revolution i know all about the revolutions and how they start the people that read the books they go to the people that don't read the books the poor people and they say ho, the time has come to have a change eh? <sharp inhale> i know
1: what
5: i'm talking about when i'm talking
1: about the revolutions the people who read the books or the people who can't read the books the poor people and say we have to have a change so the poor people make the change eh? And then the people who read the books, they all sit around the big polished tables and they talk and talk and talk and eat and eat and eat. But what has happened to the poor people? They're dead! That's your revolution!
6: So, please, don't tell me about revolutions.
2: now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth, but you got to be willing to take the hits and not point
1: fingers saying, you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. A palace in which there is no king or queen or dukes or earls or princes, but subjects all subjects beholden to each other to make a better place to is that too much to ask? Are we asking too
0: much?
1: Is it beyond our reach? Because if it is, then we are nothing but sheep being herded to the final slaughterhouse. I will not go down that way. I choose to fight back. I choose to rise, not fall. I choose to live, not die. And I know, I know that what's within me is also within you. That's why I ask you now join me. Join me. Eyes up with me. Eyes up on the wings of this plane and you will rebuild on the soul of this little warrior. We will pick up his standing and raise it up, oh, yes. carry it forward yes. until this city, your
7: They're now um, in the alternative media that, you know, we're in trouble. And really what's gotten everybody fired up to is a lot of this drag queen stuff, and it's really gotten people really fired up, and it's really caused a spark. Um, And uh, with everything that's going on, I mean, so many stories and news stories that are going on out there, you know, many people don't understand or many people may not understand how we got here. And to understand how we got here, you have to go back and look at history, and you have to understand history. So um, that's why tomorrow night we'll do our regular show. Tonight just we'll do a little bit, a couple documentaries, get back into doing that, and uh, look. At, we'll reflect back on history. Now let's look at back at a very pivotal time in the world right here. and uh, it, That was during the World War II era. So it's very, 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 very important that the truth be told about that time period of history. So we'll go ahead and play some of this, and then uh, we'll take calls if there's any calls. Uh, understand the times in which we live today. Restoring our republic. Joseph Gibson. This is
6: point in my life occurred at the age of 10. From that moment on, I would remain beholden to Adolf Hitler, nor until after our defeat. I was one of 82,000 members of the Hitler Youth lined up in the Zeppelin's field, stood in the first row, And when Hitler began to speak, we were just tingling with nervousness, finally to see our God. Then he appeared on the podium, I was afraid to look at my neighbor, because I didn't want him to see the tears in my eyes, my knees were shaking. And Hitler beamed down on us, he called us down by lifting his hands, both hands several times. When he began to speak, it was in a very conversational tone, man to boy, father to son. And I know
1: that it can't be different. Because you are the blood of our blood of our blood. And in your young brain, the same thing burns
6: us. And he said, how fortunate we were to live in this new age. And he said, from now on you no longer have to fear any class distinction, you're all one. But the essence and the emphasis occurred in the final sentences. He leaned over the podium, and I know he looked straight into my eyes, and he said, You, my boys, the young of Germany, live in a fortunate time, because you are the standard bearers of the movement. You will inherit what we have so far created. And from that moment on, without any doubt. I was born to have a figure. Long time after have defeat. Bravo!
5: The 30s were the halcyon years of Hitler's Germany. Germany was at peace, her prosperity restored, her national pride recovered. To those prepared to ignore or justify the police state, it seemed a beautiful Germany. A host of distinguished foreign visitors, many with impeccable democratic credentials, came to call on the Fuhrer at his mountain retreat, the Berghof. Among them was the former British Prime Minister, David Lloyd George. With LG was his secretary, Albert Sylvester. Hitler ran down the flight of stairs to welcome LG as he got out of his car, shook hands with him most warmly, and conducted us into the inside of the Vergon. This massive room, the only light of which came from a massive window, which was terrific. I'd never seen such a window. Lord George said, you have done great things for Germany. You have restored her honor and you have paid for her
6: equal rights. March 1938,
5: Austria was showered with swastikas. He crossed the border near his birthplace at Braunau. The people rejoiced at the Anschluss, which they saw as the fulfillment of an old dream of the German nation, an emphatic display of self-determination, a right denied to the German people under the Versailles Treaty, whose terms were generally considered unjust. Visibly moved, he entered Vienna. The city that had seen his early failures now gave him a hero's reception. Homage was being paid to the man who had achieved the unification of the German people. followers that Hitler felt most able to relax. The inner circle at the Berghof saw a quite different man from the charismatic Fuhrer of the party rallies. Life at Hitler's retreat was both reassuring and agreeable. And there was an entertaining side to the off-duty Fuhrer as Ribbentrop's private secretary discovered. I was overwhelmed by the possibility to meet the Führer personally. And, uh, for instance, uh, for, the, for the beginning, he was a sort of a messiah for me. But all the other jokes, he enjoyed terribly. Hitler had no close friends in whom to confide his innermost feelings. He could never admit human weakness to anyone, but the inner circle discovered one secret of his private life, which was unknown to ordinary Germans. When he, Hitler was talking for hours and I was standing near to the wall, waiting until they weren't some papers or something. and the curtain opened. of
3: Eva Braun appeared and said, Adolf, you must have had lunch now.
5: Engage in a death struggle over the destiny of Russia. Unfortunately, the Jewish masses won. The Jewish masses won. The Jewish masses won.
1: We will survive. That's what they tell What they mean is, they will survive. We surrendered in November at a time when we were first on the edge of victory. Betrayed by the under and the traitors within our ranks.
3: 1920. In that time, they made a lot of crashes, which have. This is all documents. It is not Nazi propaganda or anti-Semitic or Arab propaganda. It's a lot of books that have been published, even by Jewish Germans, about this problem. They have millions of German fathers have lost their uh, uh, their uh, their incomes, their uh, their fortune, their savings. used into German
6: These arguments didn't impress
5: the Allies who fixed the sum of 6,600 million pounds for the Germans to pay. That sum would have to be paid in goods as well as money. Most would come from here in the Ruhr, the industrial heart of Germany. But at the end of 1922, the Germans fell behind with their payments and Raymond Poincaré, the new French Prime Minister, decided to act. If Germany wouldn't pay in full and on the nail, then France would help herself. So, on the 11th of January, 1923, French and Belgian troops entered the Ruhr to force the Germans to pay up. There was, of course, after Versailles, no German army big enough to stop them. At first, the French believed that they could make the Germans work for them. But suddenly, German politicians and people were united in a common cause, hatred of the French huge protest meetings were held all over Germany. Their attitude towards the Germans in the Ruhr began to harden. They tried to cut the Ruhr off from the rest of the country. German visitors were searched as if they were entering a foreign land. 1923 was disastrous for Germany. In that year, the great German inflation reached its peak. For some time, the value of the mark had been dropping. As the value of the notes decreased, so the amount of notes needed to buy things grew. Banks became more and more hard-pressed to meet the ever-increasing demand for paper money. But our customers, suitcases, replaced wallets. As Germany slid towards disaster, Gustav Stresemann was appointed Chancellor. The loss of production in the Ruhr was making inflation even worse. And Stresemann realized that the only way to help the economy back to normal was to call cool off resistance there and get production going again. The government also announced that Germany would resume the payment of reparations. It was the only possible way of getting the French out. But to the nationalists, it looked like yet another pathetic surrender to Germany's enemies. General Ludendorff, who had never accepted that Germany had been defeated, gave his support to Adolf Hitler, the leader of the new National Socialist Party.
3: So he was basically saying, well, if we don't go in, then those Germans are just going to keep getting slaughtered. If we go in, we're going to find ourselves out more with Poland, France, and Britain, and possibly the Soviet
5: Union. But in a move of brilliant cunning, he astonished the world in the summer of 1939 by doing a deal with Stalin. With Stalin on his side, Hitler was sure nobody else would interfere when he attacked the Poles.
6: Whilst the military commissions of the Western powers are still negotiating in Moscow with a view of enlisting Russia in their front against Germany, Right for the Minister von Brittencourt flies to the Soviet capital to sign a pact of non-aggression and consultation with Mr. Stalin and Foreign Commissar Molotov.
5: The applause greets the few who have just arrived in the fall of our house to address the Reichstag, which has been called an extraordinary session. Thank you. And is
3: is a German city. Have only Germany to thank for their cultural development. I think be the in the to I told the Foot ambassador three weeks
5: ago that the continued as it was. If countries were persecuted and it were attempted by Poland to ruin countries economically, the situation could not be tolerated.
3: We interrupt this broadcast about our Hitler speech just momentarily to report a dispatch from Paris which says that
1: Premier de of France has now called the French Council of Ministers for an emergency meeting in that I therefore resolve to speak to Poland in the same language
3: in which Poland has addressed us for such a long time. Once
5: again, we interrupt very briefly this talk by Chancellor Hitler to announce that in London, Parliament
6: has been summoned to meet at 6
1: p.m. in London.
3: Poland for the first time this evening has shot at regular soldiers upon our territory. <laughs>
5: withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. respect for the English building up an empire so and you must understand I'm forced to fight this fight against England but I don't like it I think that he himself had not got any great wish to engage on an invasion of Britain because all the time by now we know he was already beginning to get itchy and wanting to turn eastwards after defeating France. But Goering insisted that with the Luftwaffe, with the Air Force alone, he could not Britain out. So he gave him his head to try. Russian peasants were still working their own land and selling their own produce in the market. By means of collectivization, Stalin meant to complete Lenin's initiative and to take away all the peasants' lands and produce in the name of the state. In 1930, peasants' produce began to be collected up. The Red Army, one by one, seized the produce from every single field. Some peasants managed to hide their goods rather than give them up. But Communist Party officials searched every nook and cranny, eventually discovering the hiding places. The officials also seized the peasants' agricultural equipment. The peasants were left with nothing to eat and nothing to work the soil with. Eventually, that catastrophe that Lenin had described as the most useful for communism raised its head again. Famine. In alone, six million people starved over the next few years. Two million died in Kazakhstan and one million in northern Caucasus. Children reduced to skin and bone died in agony. There was another ghastly result of the famine inspired by Stalin. Cannibalism. Peasants maddened by hunger began to eat corpses Then an even worse horror emerged. Some peasants had kidnapped children and eaten them. In front of these two Russian peasants, caught eating human flesh, lay the remains of the children they had snatched. Stalin's regime had turned human beings into savage animals, just as communism had intended. Everyone who opposed Stalin's collectivization policy paid with his life. Tens of thousands of kulaks were detained and shot. In actual fact, the regime branded everyone it saw as opposed to its ideology as kulaks. Large numbers of priests and even members of their congregations who attended church frequently were arrested as kulaks. Some were executed. Others were sent to the labor camps where a slow, lingering death awaited them. These camps were set up all over Russia and were simply another of Stalin's killing machines. Millions of people regarded as enemies of the state were worked to death in them under the most terrible conditions. Some were put to work laboring on canals in the blazing heat. Others were sent off to break rocks in the freezing cold of Siberia. These people, forced to perform hard labor under the worst possible conditions, soon turned into living skeletons. The great majority never left the camps alive. The Soviet Union, like every communist country, has was an economic basket case, it could not uh, produce enough to survive, and so every communist uh, socialist state has been dependent upon aid from uh, the capitalist producing states. So Russia was desperate for uh, our aid, both in terms of direct government aid, but also in terms of opening up the spigots for private capital markets, particularly New York, uh, Uh, bankers and, and corporations to move into Russia in a big way. In 1933, the Roosevelt administration invited a Soviet representative to Washington to negotiate terms of diplomatic recognition. general of Poland, and the country disappears from the headlines of the world press. Jews must wear the Star of David on their arm, not carry it in their pocket. In Warsaw, there is a streetcar exclusively for Jews. A district a mile and a half square is transformed into a ghetto. outskirts of Kiev, Smolensk, and Leningrad. Yet fierce pockets of Red Army resistance fight on, behind enemy lines. The fortress city of besieged Red Army garrison fights on and on, for more than a month until they are finally compelled to surrender. Hitler is so impressed by the tenacity of the Russian troops that he exercises rare clemency. Only one survivor is shot, the political officer at the fortress, Mikhail Fomin. The Führer cites the defense of Brest as an heroic effort, an example to his own soldiers. He visits the fortress with Mussolini to acknowledge a hard-earned victory. But for Stalin, the defenders of Brest are not heroes. Years later, after their release from German capture, he will send survivors to the Gulag. The Wehrmacht's rapid, relentless advance seems unstoppable. Travelling at up to 50 miles a day, panzer divisions are already approaching the heart of Stalin's empire. And in the middle of July, Stalin is forced to consider offering the Germans a negotiated peace. While Stalin contemplates a way out of the war, he's drawing up plans to punish his own troops if they surrender. In a desperate attempt to halt the rout, he issues order number 270. All officers and political officials taken prisoner at the front are to be considered traitors. If ever they return to the Soviet Union, they will be arrested and executed. But the barbarity of Order 270 does not stop there. The wives of captured troops also face imprisonment in the Gulag. Wave Amara is on course. CBI sailors the Marines, their breakfast getting cold, mistake the attack for some crazy kind of air raid drill. They think the planes are American. At 7:55 a.m., dive bombers get hit Hickam and Wheeler Airfields. zero-strength other It's is Toshida's first wave of aircraft that hits the Arizona, which is rocks like a volcano. Peter's rip into the battleships California Nevada.
4: was left of us was herded into the cattle trains and shipped to Siberia. It was literally a matter of hours, if not minutes, until our turn. And we were already sitting at the railroad station. This was September 1941, when the German army overran the Ukraine and stopped the exiling, stopped the trains. They stopped the trains. And it was to us as if the Lord had sent us the angels. Here were people who stopped the terror that had been upon us for 25 years, who came and opened the churches for us and said, you can have all the services you want. It was like heaven. My mother, to the day she died, never stopped talking about the wonderful two years that she had when the German army came. They took over the houses we gave them gladly. It was magnificent. And we were absolutely convinced that the Germans had come to save us from communism. And never was there any reason for us to change our minds. Why should we? The Germans were heroes in our eyes. We absolutely believed in Adolf Hitler. We believed in the the nature of his struggle, in the merits of his struggle. We had these magnificent German soldiers protecting us. So the beginning was not at all unpleasant, but then it became grim. Then the winter came.
5: against the German pincers that triggers hurried planning for a massive Soviet counter-offensive. It is a plan made possible by the seemingly limitless depth of Red Army reserves. His agent in Tokyo, Richard Zorga, has sent word that Japan will not, as feared, attack the USSR from Manchuria. He authorizes the transfer west of more than half the Soviet strength in the Far East. 17 fresh divisions, trained regulars with full armored and artillery support, that will form the heart of the counterattack. The first days of December are an agony of anticipation, but on the 5th, Zhukov unleashes his armies. Within 48 hours, the Soviet thrusts are fully underway. Hitler's furious order to hold advanced positions is meaningful. 34 tanks are rugged, powerful fighting machines designed to perform unfailingly in the bitter cold of deepest winter. And swarms of specialist ski troops are too fast for the ill-clad Wehrmacht. German troops can only fall back in astonished disarray as Army Group Center, the juggernaut that was to crush Moscow, is smashed apart. months of catastrophic defeats, the Red Army's hard-fought victory is undeniable. And as the year closes, Soviet towns and villages west of the capital are being freed from their brief Nazi occupation. There will be more sweeping Soviet victories, but none will burn more brightly than this first astounding recovery from the brink of defeat. Since now the Germany is on the brink of collapse, Stalin demands attack after attack. Every remaining reserve is thrown into the fray as he seeks to drive the invader from Soviet territory. But it is impossible. Their superhuman effort has taken its toll, and the armies are exhausted. Dissipated by Stalin's overreaching ambition, the offensives make only trivial gains, and at a dreadful cost. And by the time its attacks peter out in February, the Red Army has lost almost a million troops in the battle for Moscow. That grim statistic will be hidden from the Soviet people for half a century. majority of Wehrmacht units may have escaped encirclement, but they could not save their equipment. And now it lies abandoned everywhere. A gigantic German scrapyard. It is a fitting sight to show British Foreign Minister Eden when he arrives to survey the battlefields. For neither Britain nor Stalin's new ally, the United States, believed that Moscow could survive the German onslaught. But if the Western allies are amazed, this one victory has revealed to Stalin a mirage of complete triumph, and he is totally committed to further attack. But he has miscalculated. The Wehrmacht is not yet beaten. And a furious Hitler is planning massive new offensives. His folly will again compel the Red Army to fight in desperate defence. And so, the Soviet people must struggle on. It will be a long, painful journey. And many, will not survive to its conclusion. Signature in late July 1942. This notorious document makes any unauthorized retreat punishable by death. Not one step back. Stalin means it literally. And this unique footage shows NKVD troops putting his edict into practice. They're known as blocking units. Deployed just behind the troops, they pass instant sentence on any who disobey Order 227, enforcing the Supreme Commander's will without hesitation or mercy. Soviet soldiers and citizens do not even contemplate surrender. A thousand desperate battles erupt on the streets, and a wild labyrinth of constantly shifting front lines swamps the city. The front line might be a house, an alley, a tram line, or a wall. Every street is a minefield, virtually impassable for tanks or big guns. So that soldiers, denied air and artillery support, must fight eyeball to eyeball, lives hanging on their wits, their battle skills, and their cunning. General Treykov, in command of the 62nd Army, mounts a skillful campaign, but his outnumbered troops cannot hope to stop the bear mark. By early November, it has cut a swathe across Stalingrad, splitting the 62nd Army in two. In a last desperate gesture, Tchikov mounts assault after assault on the Marmayev Mound, a vital patch of high ground, the very hub of the battle zone. The hill changes hands no less than eight times as Tchikov throws everything into the fray. And from the USA's Alaskan airfields, fighter aircraft fly into Siberia, to aid a Red Army, almost ready to launch its counter-strike. And on the 19th of November, a huge artillery barrage by the southwest front pierces the front. And Yeremenko's southern wing surges forward on the next day. taken utterly by surprise cannot stop them. And as its allies collapse on the flanks, there are no reserves to stem the resurgent red tide. Within three days, the southwest front has taken Kalach, some 80 kilometers west of Stalingrad. And on the 23rd of November, a few miles southwest of Kalach, its advanced units meet up with Yeremenko's forces. Suddenly, the German 6th Army and the 4th Panzer Army, perhaps 300,000 of Hitler's finest troops, are surrounded inside Stalingrad. The hunter has been captured by his prey. An astonished Hitler summons Manstein, his troubleshooter, to Stalingrad. Two Soviet armies, the 51st and 2nd Guards, I'll rush to meet Manstein's relief force and stop it dead in its tracks. The guards pay a high price for stopping Manstein. Almost two-thirds of the army is killed or wounded. There will be no relief now for German troops in Stalingrad. The Luftwaffe tries, but the Red Army brings up extra AA batteries, and the lumbering German transports are blown out of the sky in their hundreds. Yet, like Soviet troops before them, they entertain no thought of surrender. For ordinary soldiers on both sides, this is the ghastly climax to a long, dark journey. In the heart of the cauldron, Hitler's gladiators know now that they are doomed. They evacuate a few casualties on the last plane out of Stalingrad and with it go their last words to families, lovers, friends. Is still coming
0: up.
5: Finally, after five long months, a battle that began almost by accident is over. of the Eastern Front. And so now, two gigantic armies are converging. The greatest tank battle of all time is about to begin. Offensive operations are halted. The Wehrmacht can only retreat. It leaves behind the mangled debris of war. Battle zones littered with charred and broken tanks, and the bodies of hundreds of thousands of men. Survivors of this savage inferno, shattered, shell-shocked, stunned by the horrors they have witnessed, there can be no joy.
4: In 1943, the story changed, and the Germans were pushed back. And in the push back they moved us with them, and we went willingly. There was no moving at gunpoint. Had we stayed back, the communists would have taken us and executed us or shipped us to Siberia. So we very willingly retreated with the Germans. Food was getting short voices were getting sick. Uh, the road was getting narrower. It was extremely cold. When I think of the war, I do not think of hunger so much as of cold. It was always, always cold. And then, of course, once the winter came, it became harder and harder. We had to often stay overnight in strange houses. The the army would come to houses, would put the refugees there. The army protected us to the end. The army never, ever let us down, never let us down to the very end.
5: Public during the war revealed Soviet mutilation of German prisoners. Actions like these only served to escalate the level of the German reprisals. Auf unserem Rückzug haben wir dann 20 Soldaten, also man muss sagen, vier ermordet vorgefunden. Ohren abgeschnitten, Augen ausgestochen, Geschlechtsscheide abgeschnitten und so weiter. The Partisans became a growing problem for the German occupiers. If the Germans suspected a village had been used as a partisan base, then it was common practice to burn it to the ground. And we burned the houses. On the one hand, I didn't regret it too much because I knew what is the worth of a Russian house. They are so primitive anyhow. Not comparable to a German house or or an English house or French house or so on. not, Not at all. But all in all, there's not much value in it, in such a house. And they will survive. That was my feeling. In Britain, they have forged a sword, a gift to the victor of Stalingrad from King George. Earlier in 1943, at Katyn Forest near Smolensk, German occupying authorities had unearthed the mass graves of 20,000 Polish officers. International observers were invited to support Berlin's claim that the murders were carried out by the NKVD, but Stalin had reacted furiously, denying any link with the massacres. But when Allied leaders meet in Tehran, Churchill and Roosevelt back their most important ally in the face of outraged protest from exiled Poles. His sword is presented, and Stalin stands as an undisputed world leader, March 1940, in a forest near a village, eight huge pits were dug. Heavy trucks brought in people. They were Polish army reservists, doctors, engineers. The Soviets carried out massacres on a regular basis. Riga, Tartu, Lviv, Minsk. The relatives could not identify many of the corpses. The horrific torture had made them unrecognizable. The Soviet Union, meanwhile, had become an allied power. The Soviet officers who pulled out fingernails, cut tongues, and perforated the skulls of their victims with nails were paid with Western aid. The British War Crimes Act gives them immunity from persecution in Britain because war crimes, by definition, were committed only by the Germans.
7: In 2012, the World Press reported their recent findings on the Caton Massacre, according to documents published September 2012 by the U.S. National Archives and Records Administration. The U.S. received coded reports in 1943 from two of its officers taken by their German captors to the Katyn Forest. Though the messages of the U.S. officers reached Washington, they disappeared soon after. It has long been suspected that President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Winston Churchill knew that Soviet leader Joseph Stalin had ordered the massacre. That's about it there. We'll, we'll wrap it up here. And, uh, of course, uh we know war is hell. And, uh, you know, in, in that part of the world there, I mean, hundreds of thousands of men, one battled the Battle of Kursk there. I mean, it was just uh, the, the, the t- <clears throat> tanks They didn't have GPS back then. So when the dust was flying up in the field and the tank, you got, you know, thousands of tanks marching towards each other they started smashing into each other and they didn't know who you know who was who so they went hand-to-hand combat so you know you figure you got one million men on one side you got 800,000 on the other side with thousands of tanks and you got aircraft thousands of aircraft above shooting each other down imagine that battlefield that's like I mean just think about that I mean it was they thought it was like Armageddon I mean it's just the massacre and the blood and of hand-to-hand combat uh, fighting, uh, you know, you're running, they, I mean, the infantry men were running into each other. It was just insane. Imagine that, what they what they must have had to, and the survivors, what they lived with for the rest of their lives, the post-traumatic stress that they must have suffered all throughout their lives on both sides. Um, you know, it's uh, terrible. Terrible. I mean, the other troops that uh, were enlisted, the Italians, of course, they, were, they, were, they didn't fight, really. The Romanians didn't fight, they, you know, but it was only the Germans that really fought until the death. But uh, it was and then the Russians, too. They fought to the death. So I mean, you got to hand it to them. I mean, uh, but then again, what they had, did they have to go back to? They had no choice but to fight. You fight, and you'll get a piece of bread at the end of the day. You don't fight, we'll kill you and your family. You know, your retreat will kill you and your family. You know, so you know what do you do? You got back then. You know, people had four, five, six, seven kids. You know, you got seven kids, a wife at home. You know, you're called up to go fight, and you're in your military, and your 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 notorious leader, Joseph Stalin, scumbag, evil devil bastard scum. You know, uh, uh, is you're fighting for him. You know, and his communist revolution. Is Marxist uh, communism, and and this is we, this is history repeating itself. Always history repeats itself. That's why when I debate with these scumbag liberals, you know, and that's what they are—they're scumbags because they they they're evil. They know what's going to happen. They, it's common sense. You know, history is to repeat itself. Give up your Second Amendment rights. Give up your rights. You know this, this country, the founding fathers, who which I'm going to do documentaries in the future, and I've done some in the past of the founding fathers and the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. The, these men, they again sacrificed their their families, their farms were burnt down sometimes, uh, their, uh, houses looted, their families murdered. Uh, they would, you know, they were, if they were ever caught, they'd be hung. You know, uh, George Washington, Jefferson, and, you know, that's just not the only founding fathers that I I quote. You know, there was uh, thousands of men, the militia, the, you know, it's just uh, amazing that these people, how they debate you, and they don't know history. They don't know anything about it. And you really don't even have to know. All you have to do is common sense. You know, this country and the freedoms that we were given – by the founders and, and and granted by our creator, given by endowed by our creator, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We have a Bill of Rights here, and and these Democrats want to throw it away, throw it away. They're corrupt. They're corrupt. They are filthy, rotten, corrupt. It's, it's pitiful, and you can't have a conversation with them. You can't have a debate with them. You just can't. They refuse to have a conversation with you, they and, and it, because they don't have any facts to back up what they're talking about. Because once you, they, you present the facts, they and they're cornered. They they instead of saying, "Yeah, I guess you're right," you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that. You know, I learned something new. Instead of saying something, you know, and and being a human being and having some sort of god godliness or honesty, saying you're right when presented with the facts. You, you know, no, they want to call you names. Like that last show the other night that did there, that Jerry guy or whatever the heck was his name was, that show. So I didn't want to give it to the, the lady there that was uh, with him there co-hosting. The one there.
4: It's
7: exactly how she talked. You must be one of those truck Yeah, you got a little dick. Yeah. So you're stupid stuff. Nonsense. I was a victim of rape. I was a victim of No you weren't. Who the hell would want to rape you? You nasty looking thing. You know? You should be ashamed of yourself. Presenting yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself presenting information on the internet like this like that. False information. And same thing with that guy he says he says he's an ex police officer. Thank God he's not a police officer anymore. I'll tell you what, thank God, because he is about as a pathetic and, and his innuendo nonsense that he plays on his podcast show is just totally nonsense. He plays everything that validates my argument, and then he disagrees with it. Well, how stupid. Oh, man. But anyway, the greatest story ever never told. There, This the uh, 10-year anniversary. Oh, I got some callers here, so let me put some callers up in here. Go ahead there, uh, private caller.
2: Uh, Joe, you are absolutely correct when you try to explain to people, in, well, not only about these two idiots uh, you talked about a minute ago, and I'll get back to them in a minute, but when you're talking about superlatives, and when I say, use the word superlative, I'm talking about in terms of horror and god-awfulness, and that is the fighting in the Soviet Union during World War II. There is nothing comparable to it in the history of warfare. I mean, oh, I you, you, whether you're talking about the great encirclement battles of the early stages of Operation Barbarossa. Yeah. The um, Smolensk. Yeah. And the Battle Valles- of Kursk, too. Well, oh, that's later. That's not Barbarossa. I'm talking about the opening yeah. stage of Barbarossa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the battles in uh, Smolensk and Viasma and Minsk. And uh, then, uh, you know, the, uh, like you said, the Battle of Kursk, Stalingrad. The destruction oh, the terrible. Center. That was brutal, the huh? Army... Yeah, destruction army group center, the German army group center, uh, the Battle of Berlin, the uh, you know the fighting in Hungary, and there's nothing like it. And to give you an the example, men that the died,
7: country, the men, the men who yeah. and
2: the civilians
7: that died. Just think about it. Four and, and it. a
2: half million German soldiers died in the Soviet Union, and about eleven million Russian soldiers died, or eleven or twelve million and about another 15 million civilians. And to give you an idea of context, the biggest battle the United States Army has ever fought in its history was the Ardennes Offensive, the Battle of the Bulge, in terms of casualties, in terms of number of men on both sides involved. It was the biggest pitched battle the United States Army has ever fought in its entire history. Bitter, bitter, really? You mean, even, I, was, I was
7: thinking in the Pacific against Japan, they had a couple of big no, ones no, that day. No,
2: not even close. Pacific wow. battles were savage and intense, but in terms of magnitude and scale, they didn't approach anything in Europe. The closest thing that came to what happened in Europe, because most of the casualties the United States had were in the European theater of operations and not in the Pacific. But yeah. the only thing that even comes close to what was happening in the Pacific in terms of scale was the Battle of Okinawa. And that was when they were yeah. pushing the home islands. The Battle of Okinawa kinda came close, but nothing really not, nothing like in the ETO. But and they almost the lost battle, that battle of the was, was the biggest Yeah, but the R yep. was the biggest pitch battle ever. And to give you an idea, and compared to the fighting in the Soviet Union, the Ardennes would qualify maybe as a medium-sized battle in the Soviet Union. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> to give you an wow. Idea of, To give you an idea of how vast the Arzhev the salient went on for two years. It was, right, it was formed right after the failure of the German offensive, Operation Typhoon, to take Moscow in the winter of 1941. That was a battle which, which is largely unknown compared to all the others. It was a salient that was left uh you know the, the the soviets were trying to pinch out and they yep. they had maybe 150 175,000 men killed the soviets they're trying to take that sailing and the germans put up one hell of a fight to keep them from taking it for months for years yeah Well, yeah. they finally gave it up when went uh, after uh, the battle of stalingrad when the soviets really shoved the germans back past the Dnieper river well, they, I mean, well it, if they didn't really them. they
7: encircled them. They encircled them, and that's what happened. Was you know, and and, and they, you know, and and they cut them off. They cut off their, their supply line, and then they put the batteries up there so the uh, the, uh, the the air force couldn't drop any supplies or pick up their wounded. But here's
2: the thing, though, man. They, they knew they were going to get encircled, and Hitler wouldn't let them pull out when he had the chance to let the Sixth Army pull out. The Romanians were badly equipped. They didn't have any adequate anti-tank weapons. The Germans hadn't supplied them with it. The Italians were suffering from low morale. And the Hungarians yeah. and Romanians didn't like each other one bit. They had to keep them apart from each other keep them killing each other. Yeah. So, and, But the Soviets knew this, and Zhukov in particular saw the opportunity, because after all, the 6th Army was spent getting to the Volga trying to beat the Soviet 62nd Army, and the Soviet General Chuikov was a real bulldog, and he made him fight for every square meter of territory. And so Zhukov knew what was happening with the, uh, with the uh, German uh, allies uh, that were supposed to be protecting the flank of the German army in the, in the move in the Caucasus, and he just cut right through them like a knife through better. The two halves of this pincher, the northern pincher and the southern pincher, met at Kalak, and they had completely surrounded the 6th Army. And even then that, had a but chance to break he out. What was thinking, Herman Goering so. had opened his thinking. big mouth. And well, yeah. well they, had, they still had a chance to break out. But Herman Goering had to open his big mouth and say, oh, Mein Führer, I can resupply the 6th Army from the air. Because yep, yep, they, yep. they had done it previously at Demionsk, uh earlier that year. Let me ask you this question, huh? though. All
7: in all, though, he's, he's fighting England, okay? Why he lets the troops go at Dunkirk, I don't know. But, you know, because he's got the army beat right there. He's got the England—he's got uh, a Great Britain no, beat
2: there, right there. No, there was a couple reasons for that, uh, aside from what you think. Now, a lot of people say it's because he wanted to let the British up easy because he wanted to come to a rapprochement with uh, Great Britain. And he didn't want— he didn't want to uh, you know, destroy the British Empire so the British could do what they were doing on this side of the world. He just wanted to have the continent of Europe. But actually, yeah. I think it had almost as much to do with the fact as you've got to remember, the pace German Army Group A and Army Group B had been keeping up since they started the invasion of the Low Countries back in May was simply something no one had ever seen in warfare before. The Germans, they were like super athletes going without rest, without pause, yeah. endlessly or pushing the machines to the limit. Their troops were just about worn out and their vehicles needed maintenance. No one had ever, listen to me now, now, uh, um, uh, Joe, nobody had ever seen that kind of advance in the history of warfare before, ever. The Germans, yeah. It was a blitzkrieg, a lightning movement like nobody had seen. See again, they said, okay, we got to rest, we got to refit, do maintenance on our tanks, we got to give our soldiers a chance to refit. Hitler was getting a little nervous after the um, uh, the uh, uh, French made a counterattack around Arras, and uh, were aided by the British, and he was a little nervous about that because it gave him a few scary moments because they had all these overextended supply lines that were racing to the Channel. And so once again, Garing opens his big mouth and he says, oh, the Luftwaffe can take care of him on the beaches. <laughs> oh,
7: man. No. And he did, that, and that's how he was, no, too. No, he was no, like that. He screwed no. up a lot of battles. Uh, uh,
2: and I couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because they didn't have air suprema And they never did quite gain complete air supremacy. That mean, they yeah. came close but never got it. So Yeah. So Hitler, I think, was concerned because at that time he wasn't quite the gambler he became later. And he was concerned about his army. Oh, being he was just hit. throwing
7: dice at the board, uh, Sarge. He was just throwing it right after Barbarossa there. He was just you know, throwing it. On he
2: was moving armies around well, he didn't okay. have. Yeah. That's later now, after Dunkirk. you know, By, by then, Britain was, couldn't do anything more than to open up a front in North Africa and also to, um, to make commando raids on the uh, Atlantic coast. That's all they could pretty much do s o e and Now, now like, doesn 't uh,
7: that reflect history today though that 's what was my main compar- my little speech here is it compares history today, even though we 're talking about the military tactics, but the people 's attitudes of it's, it's history repeating itself again today of what 's happened back then. You know, and and we see the, the involvement of Ukraine. Look at Russia getting bogged down in Ukraine, you know, which I, which I we, which like, we don't know really what's going on over there anyway, because
2: they they got I, the media so twisted. so much bogged down in Ukraine as if they have given up on a war maneuver, and now they figure that the odds are in their favor, so they might as well fight a battle of attrition with the Ukrainians. And it looks like they're winning the battle of attrition. Ukrainians I watched cannot the video, Sarge. So I watched a video of, of 50
7: Russian soldiers, right, died to take one ditch and only three, and it was held up by three U- Ukrainians.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, it's but like, I man. They just, <laughs> but you've got to remember, man, that, that, that's kind of the Soviet-Russian style of fighting, man. They, they believe, and there's some reason for them to believe, that they can win a war of attrition against the Ukrainians. Ukrainians are desperately trying to find people for their army. Have yeah, you seen how yeah. they're press-ganging people off the streets?
7: Yeah, yeah, the foreigners. I mean, the they have the really foreigners
2: they've been taking, they, 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 Overall, they've been taking more casualties than the Russians have, maybe not around back mood, but everywhere else, and they yeah. cannot win a battle of attrition against the Russians.
7: No, they can't. You know, so That's I, I they, think they, Ukraine's they stopped, done they
2: deal. They've stopped maneuvering. Right now, the battle lines are more or less static. And it's an artillery duel. And every now and then, you know, uh, the Russians or the Ukrainians will make a little spoiling attack or they'll make a attack, probing attack. And, you know, this both sides is kind of inconclusive for But when it comes to the casualty rates, the Russians are winning this exchange.
7: Well, and that's what I'm why saying with now. China— that's what I'm saying with China, Sergeant. If, we, if, Ty, if they attack Taiwan, China, which they can overrun Taiwan, the island of Taiwan, if Japan doesn't help, and, the, and with the current military situation with this idiot Biden and his generals he's got in place right now, they would take Taiwan. It would devastate our economy, and we would, we would never get Taiwan back, never. There's, there's no way. We could not, never get Taiwan back, because they would just put so many troops, China would infiltrate the island so badly and, and surround it and fortify it, that we would never get
2: Taiwan back. Well, part of the uh, uh, danger for the United States is is that we have become reliant upon Taiwan for significant parts of our supply chain. We, we're yep. not independent in things that are strategically significant. We used to be yep. strategically significant in, in energy just a couple of years ago. Now this idiot has depleted Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Yep. And, days. Days. yep. and now the town. Now the trying to switch us over to these idiotic lithium batteries, which will make us even more reliant on China. No. Beyond belief.
7: I know. I know.
2: It
7: is. It is. I mean, I just don't understand it. Well, I know you saw my what I put in the chat room or whatever. You know, the, the, Congress needs to use the contempt of con, contempt of Constitution. You know, the inherent. Uh, clause in the Constitution, Congress has that power to have that sergeant of arms arrest uh, these, these people of the judicial branch, but, you know, that, that are not, not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, Congress well, has that power.
2: Got, I, wait a now, there's such a thing as separation of powers. That's when, why we have uh, it. I mean, you know, I mean, you have to, if you're going to arrest somebody in the judicial branch, they have to have committed a specific crime. Well, you don't think they have? If they're failing oh, to I know cooperate, they,
7: number one.
2: I know they've committed crimes because of national security in the state, but defining it as such is going to be a problem.
7: Well, you don't have to define it as a crime if you use the inherent clause of the Constitution. All you're doing is arresting, and you can detain them for however how long, six months, nine months? Of,
2: why are you detaining members of the judiciary?
7: Well well first of all, if Congress orders a sub, or orders them to provide them with say documents, for instance. Or they or or to uh, bring witnesses forward or to supply them with information and they fail and they say uh, Well you said it.
2: judiciary. You mean the executive branch.
7: Yes, 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 yes.
2: Oh, you said judiciary. I'm sorry oh, I'm sorry, one I'm one 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 sorry,
7: one. I'm screwed up, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, well yeah, obviously um, you know, but again, separation of power still applies here. I mean, if a sergeant at arms tries to go arrest somebody that ain't in the Capitol building. Well, they could have did it with Eric a little Holder. Little bit of from the Secret Service and the FBI and all the other alphabet agencies that Joe Biden... And those are call. unconstitutional
7: or, uh, groups. They're not, they're not in the Constitution. But let's well, check this out. They could have did it with uh, Fast
2: and Furious with Eric Holder. Yeah, they could have arrested sitting, him. Yeah, they're sitting there in the Capitol with automatic weapons and who knows what else. So,
0: as you know, a practical
2: I, matter, uh, that's kind of kind difficult. Well, what do we do? What,
7: what do you do? I mean, even Levine was talking about it the other night. I watched his show and he was talking about it. he was saying the same thing I've been talking about contempt of constitution I was like, Darn, man, I wish everybody bought my podcast. Yeah, well, know you know, uh, contempt look, <laughs>
2: look contempt of Congress is a is a felony, and that's why this they were referred to the Department of Justice. And the Department of Justice is supposed to execute arrest warrants because those whom Congress says is in contempt of them. Because Congress doesn't have any executive power, really. No, problem but they we have the inherent clause. Yes, yes, they have the inherent.
7: They have the article. I forget what the article it is. I think it's Article One. I'm not. I'm trying to sure. Article One Twenty-Three, well, maybe. I mean I'm
2: not. The problem is we got a corrupt Department of Justice. That's the problem. It won't do but, its constitutional duty with regard to enforcement of the Constitution. Contempt of Congress is a violation of law. Yeah,
7: yeah well, yeah, yeah, you're correct. You're, yeah, it's, you're absolutely well, you know correct. What I
2: mean, uh, the problem is we got people who just won't do their duty because nobody can make them. What the, what the Congress has the power to do is impeach and remove the attorney general, but you're not going to get that. You're not going to get two-thirds of that from a Democrat Senate. Yeah, yeah. Are you're going to have trouble uh, yeah. getting the majority just to vote for a bill of impeachment.
7: Well, what do you do then? What do you, what's, what's, to get the rid
2: answer? of these people. you got to figure out a way to get rid, rid of these people in the next election. We can't lose this time.
7: Well, <laughs> that means that means I mean, monitoring the polls. Otherwise,
2: the only other remedy I see is one that nobody really wants to contemplate. What? <laughs> oh, Something uh, are left unsaid because of uh, YouTube. Yeah, 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 yeah,
7: yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you, I understand that. But you, you know what I mean, I mean, event. look, yeah. we
2: don't, there's some things we don't want to contemplate, but look, what are you going to do when people just run roughshod over the Constitution, ignore it, and every day they, right now, look what they're doing in the cities. It's anarcho-tility. Look what happened in Chicago for the last three days. What's going on? I know, well, I, is that true? Is that true, what's going on there? Yes! Yes! Wow! The it cities is are on fire? absolutely true. I mean, the so-called, quote, teens, unquote, have completely taken over the city. The police are helpless. I'm talking wow. to my colleagues. They saw it. They made 15 wow. arrests. They made 15 arrests. They got... Thousands of ransacking mobs going around in the city. And they made 15 arrests. So those videos
7: that they're putting up and everything. I was watching that last night. I said, this ain't going to happen now. I haven't heard nothing about this. I have heard nothing. And then
2: you've got this idiot mayor-elect. You know what he said? Now, I mean, I swear to God, man. These (laughs) people, I don't know. What do they get? Some kind of playbook where they try out these phrases? That's dangerous. That's dangerous. This This can spread across the country. Well, the the guy says this, uh, let's go Brandon Johnson. But uh, Brandon Johnson says, uh, (laughs) uh, rioting has no place in our city. I mean, where did they get these standard praises from? But
0: then
2: after he says it has no place in our city, then he goes on to say, but you can't demonize marginalized and oppressed people who don't have opportunities. I'm paraphrasing pretty much like that. What's that got to do with rioting? Wow.
7: Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Well, Black America stopped voting democrat Chicago is, yeah,
2: look at which this, wow. if that's true, which in most cases it probably isn't, what does they it destroyed have to do with civil order? Wow, what look at these Walmarts.
1: What do with any civil order?
2: Well, there is no
7: more civil order. There's nothing to maintain anymore. The stores are all, but they're, they're they're empty. They're all empty. All the shopping plazas in this, that side of Chicago are empty.
2: I mean, it, it,
7: it is it. crazy.
2: What we're looking at is crazy. I mean, I tell you this. Oh energy, my lord! Now, if you defend yourself against these little darlings, like Jose Alba had to do in New York, you go to jail. Like that parking lot attendant had to do when the guy shot him when he was casing cars to steal, and the guy took yep. the gun away from him and killed him, Alvin yep. Bragg, in both cases, did the victims and charged him with murder.
7: Well, this is see, that's what makes me nervous, Sarge. I'm a security no, no, officer, no, sir. See, sir
2: it. Now, the only thing that <laughs> made him back off it was that people rose up and were outraged, and the pressure on his office was so bad he had to drop the charges. But here's the point I'm trying to make up, Joe. This is, called, this is the very definition of anarcho tyranny. The authorities do not maintain order. They refuse to do their duty. So when the victims fight back, like they did with Daniel Perry down there in Texas, when he killed that BLM rioter, remember the one who yep. came to the car with the AK and pointed yep. it at him, and he killed him? Yep. The DA, yeah. the, the Soros-installed... A district attorney charged him with yep. crime. Got a Travis County jury to uh, uh, indict him and convict him of murder. And that's, and, but but and that's when the people, women, women, the self-defense laws in Texas are as liberal as any in the nation. Despite this, they convicted huh. this for, uh, this soldier.
7: How? Oh, I know, sergeant. Yeah, I know. I know. And the governor wants to pardon yeah, the governor.
2: Defense. That's all show. That's that. Texas has got the most liberal self-defense laws, probably in the country. Well, why did the jury convict them? Why did the jury convict them? It was, was a George Soros district attorney. Austin is the Marxist hellhole of Texas. And that's they're where all they're right. Liberals are you know. all rich liberals in Austin, Texas, owning most of the property there.
0: Wow. No.
2: It is the anomaly for the state. You think of Texas as a red state? Austin is not just blue. It's blue-red. I mean, red in the sense of like Tommy red. Uh,
7: yeah, yeah, I know. It's, well, North Carolina is half and half, too, and uh, that's what I'm worried about here. But well, Texas you know, is not half and
2: half. Texas is pretty much conservative, except for places like Austin and Dallas. Yeah, the cities, the cities, yeah. You know, and, you, know, right.
7: you know, we we got counties so here that are all wrong. That's
2: why, and th- and not only that, uh, Joe. Here's what's even worse than the conviction by this jury of this, this 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 soldier. Uh, the 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 lead attorney, the lead detective in the case, made a sworn deposition uh, informing uh, uh, the court. That the Travis District Attorney withheld exculpatory evidence from the defense. That is a f- crime and a felony, and, the, uh, and, and that district attorney down a guy named Jose Garza, could be indicted for it. He said he made well. a shorten, patient, take out a lot of the information in it, and a lot of the information he had that was exculpatory, he withheld from the defense.
7: Well, that's not a crime. It'll just get overturned in appeal, that's all. Prosecutors do that all the time. I
2: mean, no, you know, it is a but crime he could be cause, charged with a malicious prosecution. For district attorney to do that—that that is a crime. Well, to knowingly do but, that, it's criminal. It's called malicious
7: prosecution. I know. That's you exactly know, I, what it is. It, but the thing of it is, is that it's very hard to bring up because you want to know why. They've got the statue there on the books, It's like here in North Carolina, but how do you bring it forward? You have to bring it through a commission, a state
2: ethics commission, that will not address it. They will not take well, compliance. No, get, don't take no complaints. that's the crime, uh, to knowingly and deliberately withhold exculpatory information. That is a crime. All it takes is but a grant. But they grand have protection, Sarge, but this prosecutor has immunity. I know but it, it can be done. It is hard because the system there is so corrupt. Corruption yeah. always gets in the way of everything. Yeah, yeah.
7: Well, immunity, they got the, they got the qualified immunity. And, and I just told you, they got the same statute here in North Carolina. For,
2: it's not for actions that are deliberately and knowingly criminal. Any more than a police officer who murders a suspect cannot invoke qualified immunity.
7: Yeah, I know. Well, I mean,
2: you don't have well, that he, kind of immunity when you deliberately do a criminal act. Well, and knowingly withholding <laughs> the evidence is a criminal act. So the cities across America, if this starts spreading. This
7: is a pilot pro because right now this is what they're doing. I can see it right now with what I've just saw and right now. I already know this is a game plan. This is done by the book. And they're doing it to see how it's going to go in Chicago and hope it spreads. But if it doesn't, they're going to save it for the election time. That's what they're going to do, you know. Well, and that's what they're going to do, and it's, and, and well, people yeah. and now let me ask you this though: you just said when the okay, when they're convicted, okay, the sergeant's convicted. Well then, don't turn himself. in. He has in. been
2: convicted. He's convicted right now. I know, but don't turn yourself in though when that happens. You know, no, he's you're ready, in you're custody, uh, they, When when the guilty verdict was announced, he was immediately taken in custody and remanded to the Travis County uh, Sheriff for uh, to be locked up.
7: They
2: didn't know, give I any bail because no appeal had been filed.
7: Yeah, I
2: know. I know. He's, in, oh, he's he was immediately in remanded to the custody of the Department of Corrections down there in Texas. Yeah, he's all done. Rest of his life in jail now. Oh, he's not done you yet. Know? I mean, right now uh, uh Greg Abbott, the governor has made it his intention to grant him a pardon if the parole if the pardon board grants his request to uh, to have him have this pardon request sent to his office. In Texas they got a different kind of system. The yeah, I, I don't think the, yeah, I
6: don't
2: think you can't No, can they got the a pardon. different system in Texas. In Texas, the governor doesn't have the same kind of pardon authority that most governors in other states do. What he's got yeah. to do is the pardon board has got to recommend that the, the prisoner's request be sent to the governor's office so he can pardon him. Without that uh, uh, recommendation from the pardon board, he can't, do he can't it. pardon him. Right, he can't pardon <laughs>
7: Unbelievable.
2: Bureaucratic nonsense. Fabian you know mean. Teddy intends to pardon him if they make the recommendation from the partner. Yeah. Uh, well, well, how long does it take to make the recommendation?
7: Ten years? Two years? I don't know. <laughs> I, it shouldn't yeah. take more than a few weeks. You know, I mean, come
2: on. You, you fill out the paperwork, and that's it. Uh,
7: you know, well, and, it should and,
2: and take and you, more than a few weeks. I mean, if, if, if things go the way I think they will, he should be out in a few weeks. But you never oh, know. What's I happen. don't think so. Look, the guy he so, killed Sarge. was one of their mascots, man. The guy I he killed was one of mascots. I don't think you'll get out. I want him to get out. Don't get me wrong. He was a B- <laughs> BLM activist.
7: I know. I know.
2: What do I we mean, do? I mean, you can't kill do? the less mascots, man. They'll come after you with all guns blazing. <sighs> I
7: don't know what... If if this is, you know, if this stuff's happening across the country, then uh, we're in big trouble.
2: They'll kill you. They'll threaten your life. They'll beat you up. They'll extort everything. But don't you dare lay a hand on their widow heads because, man, they'll send the power of the state after you in a heartbeat.
7: All right, so you're a former police officer. Let me ask you this right here real quick. All right, like a friend said, so I'm a security officer, okay? So, uh, all right, somebody's breaking into a building, okay, and they're like this, and these mob flashes mob scenes or whatever. Are you going to stand down and let them do it and get away with it? If, if a mob does what? Well, like, like you know, these, these mob scenes. That you're you're you called or summons, or you're on post uh, on a plaza, shopping plaza, and they come in, they have 40, 50 of them, and they start breaking into a CVS or 10 of them or whatever, and you have a chance to apprehend three or four of them. Are you going to let them go?
2: Well, if I have the chance to apprehend them, I'm going to certainly make the attempt. But you got to remember, there is such a thing as prudence that you shouldn't ignore. I mean, after all, you know. When uh, yeah. you know, when I remember some guys on uh, outposts, you know, in Vietnam, and uh, the guy, with that the biggest fight I was in, I was in the night defensive perimeter with uh, a platoon of mechanized infantry and platoon of tanks, and the uh, we had the observation post out, and a, and a, and a battalion of North Vietnamese that were going to hit us came past the uh, observation post after the observation post reported them them guys didn't try to take on that whole goddamn invade battalion, they went to ground and went to cover and said, please don't hit us when you open up, because some things are just a matter of prudence, they're prudential, you just, you know, it would have been almost pointless for them to engage that many enemy troops at once, and the same thing with a security guard, now, you got 60, 70 people out there with crowbars, hammers, maybe guns, there's one of you... I mean, mm-hmm. hey, you know, prudence will dictate your actions, I would think. Yeah. But, yes, if, if you have the uh, opportunity to make an arrest, and, of course, if you're going to do your duty, that's what you should do, but you've still yeah. got to be prudential about it.
0: Yeah. And I can understand
2: yeah. the, the situation with these cops in Chicago. I mean, they're outnumbered, I don't know, 100, 150, 200 to 1. I know. There's no backup. And then on top of it, the worst. Part of it, Joe, it's not that they're outnumbered or that they're in danger. The worst part of it is they will not be backed up by their political masters. They'll be thrown mm-hmm. under the bus Yep. if anything goes yeah. wrong.
7: Yeah. That's the worst part of How do you sit there, there as, a, as a uniformed
2: police officer and just watch that go down? I and mean, then what do you do? You just drive away? I mean, I just don't oh, know. Like say, in a case like that, I'm not going to blame any cop who opts for prudence. But, yeah, you're supposed to do your duty when and wherever you can.
7: Well, how many of you guys are on duty in that area at that time? Come on, man. Jay hey, guys, we oh, are kind of, got
2: they, of Yeah, they got everybody that was off duty. They told them to come back in and everything else. The numbers are wow. just too great. This is National Guard response time.
7: Yeah,
0: you know what yeah, you call it, wow.
2: National Guard. With well, how many, many police are in Chicago? How many, many uniforms? many
7: How big is their police force in Chicago?
2: I believe it was something like 12,000, 13,000. When I left, it was like 12,000, 13,000, probably somewhere 12,000
7: around. 12,000 officers? And you f- get, you ain't
2: got a big enough police force? To, well, you know, uh, uh, a, once people are sick, they're on vacation, you know, they're yeah. uh a disability. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, the you know, you big, got to sit out on duty at that particular
4: time. Now, yeah, I
2: know they cancel they days off, and they – you know, if you're not on watch, you come in if you're able to come in and all that stuff. But it's a logistical matter getting all the cops rounded up.
7: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Plus, it's a big city.
7: You know, it's a big area. You it's got, you know, some you know?
2: gigantic. <laughs> yeah, guess, look, this mob was concentrated in one space, relatively small space. I think that sort of... Activity required a military response. You needed military no, forces, military. either mm-hmm. either the National Guard or the citizen militia, whomever to come along and back up the police.
7: Well, you got you
2: in New York City. You got thirty six thousand
7: police officers in New York City in all the boroughs and what thirty
2: six thousand? That's a whole city that's itself. The Marine Corps was in between the wars. You know that? Yeah,
7: I mean that's a battalion, right?
2: <laughs> it's not a battalion. Thirty-seven thousand is like three divisions worth.
7: Yeah, okay, divisions. All right. That's three divisions. <laughs> it's
2: not a battalion. A battalion's like eight five hundred to eight hundred people, depending upon you know what type it is. And then but, you uh, and then you, well, well, they put them down in units. That, and, you, know, yeah. you know, that's more like a corps. You know what a corps is? You know, you got army, you got divisions, you got corps, you got armies.
0: Well, that's yeah, a corps-sized corps,
2: unit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's like three or four divisions. That's what a corps is.
7: Wow. That's why that's why I wanted to ask you for when and, and during World War II, how big was uh, Hitler's divisions? Cuz he kept shrinking them as the uh, war uh, the was German going down. The army
2: had about 300 400 divisions uh, during World War II. Four, uh, to give you four. an idea of the contrast, the United States army, now get this. The biggest army we've ever fielded in our history, had uh-huh. 98 divisions, including the the Sixth Marine Division. Wow, wow! They had 300 divisions.
7: Oh my yeah, lord! Three
2: or four hundred divisions, yeah. But you gotta remember, though, most of them were fighting in the Soviet Union.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So you got we gotta wow. keep remembering that The Western Allies only had to face about 25 percent of the German army.
7: I know you, they but wouldn't they, have won it if they had to them But most of
2: them were fighting off. in the Soviet Union.
7: Yeah.
2: They wouldn't have won. They wouldn't have won. even the German soldiers who were killed in World War II were killed fighting the Soviet Union.
7: That's what I understand. Why, Like, again, why he went for this? Why he invaded the Soviet Union. It doesn't even say in that documentary why he does it. You know, it just doesn't make sense. He has England.
2: Oh, he, he made Stalin in Mein Kampf why he did it. Well, and, why did well, he uh, you know, do it? It's clear why he did it. He wanted well, well, the he them. Yep. No, he wanted the German people to have Lebensraum. Living space. So,
7: oh come on! for God's sake, that he so he's so. talking I mean, well, he it,
2: if you read Mein Kampf, he made it plain as day.
7: Yeah, well, I never read Mein Kampf actually. I
2: never he read He wanted the resources. He wanted the resources of the East. He politically wanted the oil and the economic breadbasket of like Ukraine, because you know Ukraine was a major agricultural uh, region. Yeah, the, the, the oil. You know, yeah. Germany, is, other than coal and iron ore, and even iron ore ain't got that much of that, other than coal, Germany's relatively resource poor. Well, that's well, why they, they had, had so women damn horses, No, because they man. got Austria, Austria. The German had, army was so largely horse-drawn. It's not because they couldn't build trucks. They couldn't fuel them. I know. But they had Romania. And they he had They wanted, wanted that oil in the Middle East, in the Caucasus. Well, yeah, but, Sarge,
7: again, he had Hungary, Romania. He had the oil down there. He had the Romanian wasn't oil
2: fields. That wasn't enough for his no. ambitions. No, they were <laughs> allies. And they were putting... Yeah, look, yeah. They had, almost all of their peak production was going to the German war effort, and
7: that was inadequate. And, and uh, ta- Italy drained them, too, the Italians. He had to keep bailing out Mussolini aren't the military, you know? And, well, that so, messed
2: up his timetable for Barbarossa, because he had to go bail the the uh, Italians out in Greece and Albania. Yeah, they're at, yeah. Well, how did Italy supply the themselves? He had, to, he had to set the timetable for Barbarossa back like three to four weeks while the Germans went in the Balkans to uh, bail out Mussolini's forces. Yeah. And how did
7: Italy supply their force? I mean, how they, they don't have any resources in Italy.
2: No. They, they were counting on being a colonial power. And they, look. The Italians were just not ready for World War II, so they just face no, they, they had yeah. not made the proper preparations for a world war uh, uh, with Germany. They just they had did good navy, not have though. a prepared army. They, a pretty good, they just didn't. They had a pretty good navy. They had a pretty, pretty good navy. They had, they had a good China, navy. navy, yeah, because they were a maritime power, but their army was woefully unprepared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't I have mean, any I, armor I, to speak of worthy of the name, except maybe if one. If he had 300 three, divisions... Had, <laughs> There's then he I mean yeah lied. the Soviets had enormous... that's why. Look they were looking at the manpower losses in Soviet Union and what they knew. Just in the Battle of Kiev alone, they lost eight six hundred and sixty thousand prisoners in one goddamn battle.
0: <laughs> now they're
2: saying they, they can't have any more reserves
0: after yeah, Varazma
2: right? and Smolensk about three hundred thirty thousand each. And uh, all the others, they looked at all these numbers. We'd have taken three and a half million Soviet prisoners by September. They can't have wow. any more reserves. They were wrong. They, they, they had a whole lot more reserves that went to the fire.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. About tw- about twelve million reserves.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. what they didn't. They didn't, they thought they were going to figure out spending the Soviet army. That you know that, that all these. Encirclement battles. You're just going to finish off the all factories, the, though. The armies factories and kept the, going. Yeah,
7: but they should have of their, well, their air force. Too,
2: uh, they, didn't, they couldn't get the Japanese to declare yep. a war on the Soviet Union. So yep. all those divisions that were in Siberia and on the Mongolian border were free to go back west to help the Soviets repel the Germans outside of Moscow. Yep.
7: Yep. Yep.
2: That's what happened.
7: That's true. And Japan, good old Japanese, huh? They they stuck it to them.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you know it, Japanese had their own interests, but uh, you know, if they had if they had declared war on the Soviets, that would have meant a whole lot of Soviet divisions that would not have been able to stop the Germans at Moscow. The Germans well, might have been able to break, break through and take Moscow, Sarge, and that would have all, put a couple it. different
7: face on If they the took war. it, Sarge, how would they have been able to sustain it? They would. They didn't.
2: They couldn't. There's look,
7: no way look, they could have maintained security. They didn't have
2: the to sustain it. At, uh, uh, Joe, they intended to let the soap, the Russians starve.
7: Yeah, they, all well, they were worried
2: about uh, sustaining was their own troops.
7: Yeah, I guess you know they were going to uh, so strip land So they were. The they like you
2: know the United States. United States didn't want to take Paris because they didn't want the logistical burden of supplying the French civilians. We, we weren't like the Germans in that respect. We were going to yeah. take care of whatever population that we came in, in, in to govern until the war was settled.
5: Yeah. So you yeah, know, that's
2: true. Eisenhower wanted to bypass Paris, but the French forced his hand because they wanted to take Paris back for symbolic reasons. Yep. Yep. So wow. I, even though Eisenhower completely intended to bypass Paris and go straight for the Siegfried Line, the French general like de Gaulle and Leclerc forced Eisenhower. You know, they went in there and they got together with the French resistance, who were already starting an uprising against the Germans. Said, "See." Uh, You know, we we got. Are you gonna let these Germans slaughter our people and raise and destroy the city of light? You know, politically, Eisenhower just couldn't deal with that. So. He had to commit divisions yeah. going on Just think of how the, the, world, the world
7: was just chaos. Just think of the the world in 1939 and 40 and 41, how on edge they were of what was going on, you know, and how close everybody was just to imagine being, you know, alive during that time and just wondering what's going on. And remember, they didn't yeah.
2: have TV back then. You know, so it's not like you watch was the what's most, going on. Uh, most I think World War II was the most momentous time in modern history of the world, probably in all of world history. World War Two is just the most all encompassing struggle yeah. that probably yeah, human the race probably Yeah, will, the human race. Unless we have another world war and it probably be over too fast to be anything yeah, like that. Yeah. As yeah, to... yeah. If we yeah. have another World War three, I'm, three, I'm sorry, just saying though no, man, that thing was so total and involved so much of the world and the, and the population of the world, there's just no comparison to it or anything else. I human life to suffering, but again, you said World War
7: III. That's interesting. Before we start wrapping it up here, uh, the World War III, you're right. If there's a World War III, I just don't see logistically how anyone could still make landfall and attack the, the mainland of the United States. I just don't see anyone getting here. You know, I no, think they're we're not just safe. Do that.
2: They're not, they're, they won't have to do that to win. Mm, All they have well, to do is render out that our ineffectives.
7: It'll never happen. We got three hundred military bases, or what? Three hundred eighty-five military bases around the world. Well, what are they
2: on? hollow? Where's the personnel to man them?
7: Well, we only need about ten thousand troops in each base because we got technology on our side. <laughs>
2: and, and what are ten thousand troops going to do in a world well, but, but, war? Well,
7: again, sir, so you're thinking hand-to-hand combat. These guys are sitting behind uh, uh, hand-to-hand microwaves hand-to-hand. and uh, keyboards. I'm, I'm
2: not, you know? Oh, no, I'm not thinking hand-to-hand combat at all. I'm thinking, because uh, there isn't really that much hand-to-hand combat going on in Ukraine. Oh, no, there is. Oh, there's some ground fighting going but there on. I've been is, watching the but, there but, but there's not really not really hand I mean, close combat is really not most of the combat in Ukraine. Most of the combat in Ukraine is artillery uh, uh,
7: duels. Well, if, you know, the U.S. will be up there in outer space and you know flying around in their jets. That's what, and it'll be, I mean, our navy will be jamming all systems and they'll be hitting them from our with our cruise missiles. Uh, you, you know what I mean? That we, 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 yeah, you're right. There'll be no there'll be no boots on the ground. So you know whatever equipment we have well, in space. No boots on
2: the ground because you're not going to be able. Look, if you've got a whole territory, you still got to have infantry. Nothing else can hold ground like infantry. There's no substitute. Do you think so if, 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 if your strategy involves you taking and holding the ground, you've got to have infantry. You can't do it with drones. You can't do it with tanks. You can't do it alone, anyway. You, you can't do it do with think, aircraft alone. Do, you've got do to you put think infantry we can hold— on
7: the ground. Hang on. Do you think we can hold Taiwan?
2: If the, if the Shang's making all-out assault on it, no. Wow.
7: Huh? Even if we prepa- Even if we were prepared—
2: you think, Maybe. You hold it? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> right now, we're not they don't have enough stocks of our ordnance. It's been depleted because yeah. of Ukraine.
7: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It takes a little yeah. while to ramp up all that ordnance and get into production.
7: Yeah. Yeah. We'd have to have our aircraft carriers. We'd have to have three or four aircraft carriers over there. We'd have to have a couple of battleships and all our... Yeah, but remember, we're you know, talking
2: about a near-peer adversary with hypersonic missiles. Aircraft carriers without efficient... Electronic jamming, are uh, big floating targets. Oh, we got we technology, stars. <laughs> Wait, we're not talking about launching an aircraft against a bunch of goat herders. We're, we're talking mm, about a peer yeah. adversary with hypersonic anti-ship missiles.
7: Yeah, well, China's not that good now, Sarge. Now you know, look how they performed in World we War Two. You know,
2: and there, so we got to remember <laughs> this supply chain is right there. They don't have to go thousands of miles.
7: Good point. That's a good point. The supply chain is right there, and they have endless,
2: how much endless manpower. Tactics, professional study logistics.
7: Well, the logistics we'd win. The tactics they Chinese would win. Tactically, logistics we would win. You know, and and we have we have the superior
2: technology. Well, There's no we doubt can about get it. Stuff there. The, the yeah, quickest way to resupply is with an air bridge. And your aircraft got to be cargo aircraft, and they're not fighter airplanes. They're not fighters. I wouldn't
7: want to be a boots on the I mean, ground. They're I would not vulnerable want to be a soldier. You don't
2: have air supremacy.
7: I would not. Well, we have air supremacy all day in a matter of, a matter of minutes. Um, but listen, I would not want to be boots on the ground and, and right there in Taiwan fighting against that Chinese military. That's I would not. That, <laughs>
2: town Man, infantry, I not be boots on the anywhere. What's protecting infantry these days is, A, being dispersed. You got to You can't. If you have concentrations of men, which you got to do to make an attack? That's when you got to concentrate them. You got to keep the enemy guessing as to where they're at until you get them together to uh, uh, strike the point you want to attack. You you can't concentrate your troops because they're got to be targets for drones, targets for artillery, targets for air attack. We've so got the all the targets safe, mapped out every, already, sorry. Spread them out. You got to <laughs> spread them out.
7: All our targets are all mapped out. Trust me. They got A, B, C, D, A, 1, A, B. They got them all ready to go. Trust me. If, if China makes one mistake, trust me, they'll, we'll turn that country into a parking lot. Um, trust me. The te- wait till you see what they have oh, wait the technology. A minute now. Oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> are you
2: talking about the Chinese mainland? We I don't will think turn they're gonna Chinese. You're yes. not going to sit still for that and not
7: retaliate. They're not. They're not going to be able, We will trust. Sorry, trust me. I, I speak to people in the military. Trust me. The, you remember the Desert Storm, the shock and awe. Everybody said the shock and awe with Desert Storm when they when, yeah, when they bombed. Know, that, you there. know. I, Listen, but China is going to be thirty times that. If well, that's how bad it's going to be, and it's going to be quicker too. Trust me. The, 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 we've got technology now that
2: will blow your mind, I, uh, man. Remember one thing, <laughs> Joe. Here's one thing yeah. that a man uh, a man who knew a lot about this uh said very correctly. No battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs>
7: I'm, gonna look I'm that serious, one <laughs> man. I mean
2: yeah. I mean look how meticulously they planned Operation Overlord until the Omaha Beach started. They had to throw everything yeah. out the window.
7: Yeah. They had
2: advise yeah. there on spot.
7: Sarge, give me your closing thoughts to everything tonight. Just give me well, your thoughts. Well,
2: well, on did you ever get in touch with them two nutcases down the aisle, see if they'd be willing to agree to debate? Did they got the guts to do that.
7: I tried. I tried. They weren't. He didn't take. He, he did his show the other night. He didn't take no calls. I waited on hold and waited on hold. So when they next time they do a show and they take calls, I will make contact with them. I well, the I I
2: want a piece of that bastard. When, uh, I know when, you uh, do. I know you do. I know you do.
7: Now, I know you I'm do. Be his man.
2: <laughs> you better believe that. I mean, I want that motherfucker so bad. I can taste. <laughs> I
7: know you do. I can't stand them either. Um, but uh yeah, and then tomorrow night oh, shit, we're going to have some guests on tomorrow night. So, uh we're going to be talking about uh you know, trying to get together. We're going to be talking about oath keepers and uh, uh con- you know, getting together this righteous army and uh you know, I got some people that from across the country that are going to be calling in. So, supposedly, that's what they told me tonight. So, uh should be a good show tomorrow night, 7 p.m. So. All right. Well, I'll see you there. I'll see how it goes. Yeah, man. Sorry. Be safe out there and uh, keep up the good fight. And uh, everybody else, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Sorry. Take care, man. For sure.